When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Chapter 10. Dr. Crook. In December 2017, Biogen and Ionis entered another collaboration, their fifth. This one focused on finding new antisense oligonucleotides to treat spinal muscular atrophy. It was a forward-looking agreement, an attempt to hold onto their leadership position in the space as new drugs neared approval. And it was also an admission that Spinraza, as magical as it was, might be improved upon. The deal brought Ionis $25 million up front, with milestones for achievements and royalties on any approved drug. But the sixth deal between the companies in April 2018, truly opened eyes. Big news in biotech, Biogen announcing it will pay Ionis a billion dollars to form a partnership to fight brain disorders. The stock is up today. Meg Terrell covers biotech for us. We're also joined by Ionis CEO, Dr. Stanley Crook. Dr. Dr. Crook, great to have you with us. Thanks very much for having me. It's so that billion dollars breaks down up front to $375 million payment and $675 million. The two companies had formed a long, 10-year collaboration to broadly develop antisense drugs against neurological diseases. The $1 billion price tag, when broken down, called for Biogen to pay Ionis $375 million in cash for the right to keep accessing its antisense technology, and another $625 million to buy more than 11 million shares of Ionis stock. That made Biogen a sizable shareholder in Ionis and had investors wondering if the deal had almost gone in a different direction entirely. As we've said, you've had a partnership with Biogen before in the discussions to this, because now Biogen owns about 10% of Ionis, just underneath uh, 10% or so. Was there talk of, of a potential full takeout? I mean, I mean, I think uh, that's what investors are wondering. Was well, that ever under consideration? Yes, uh, certainly that is a consideration. But I think Biogen... Uh, felt very strongly that it's much more likely that we will continue to be as productive as we have been by being independent. And we certainly are committed to remaining independent. We think that's the best way to bring value to patients and shareholders. But you guys had discussed it. Yes. Indeed, before the sixth Biogen deal was announced, the companies had an amiable, casual meeting of the minds to discuss a buyout. Here's Stan. Uh, I got a call from Stelios. Uh, you know, basically asking if he could come with Michelle to my home in Sedona to chat with me. Um, and Stelios and Michelle came, and, and and so we talked. And certainly, a the possibility of acquisition was very much alive. You don't have that. You don't. You're never that explicit in these conversations because once you are, that's an announceable event. So, okay, that's that's an interpretation of mine. Anyway, in the end, a conversation went well. We ran into, you know, a time when it appeared the deal was uh, not going to happen. These things happen, you know, in these big deals, you know, you, you can get off the rail anytime. Yeah. And then finally, when I was 
I had written it off. I got the call from Stelios. He said, we want a deal. Here, here, are, the ter- here are terms that will not change. And, and the numbers uh, got my attention. And I said, okay. <laughs> and so we did the deal. Stan did not want to be bought. He felt Ionis was better off scientifically as a standalone company. And as it turns out, Biogen felt similarly. Here's Stelios Papadopoulos, chairman of Biogen's board. Basically, what we did is, uh, Michelle Punachos, the CEO of Biogen, and I, we flew to Arizona, and uh, we met with uh, Stan Crook and Lynn Parshall for several hours, really talking about the philosophy of what we wanted to accomplish jointly, what we wanted to do, uh, sort of like casually, the issue of should we buy them, should we not? And our conclusion was, Typically, when you buy such a science-intensive company, you know, invariably, the good people move on. And we thought this group was special, and it should have been allowed to remain intact and independent. Uh, the second point was the ASO technology platform Vionis is broadly applicable, not just virology. So we would either have to waste away all the other applications in cardiology and oncology, whatever, other therapeutic indications you can imagine, or go into an out-licensing mode, trying to find partners for cardiology, for this, for that. And that didn't seem to be practical. Ionis had become what many successful biotechs become, an acquisition target. It had a now-proven, valuable area of expertise and a revenue stream. But in the end, that wasn't enough to kill the good thing the two companies had going. Biogen valued Ionis more as a partner, and Ionis was left alone. From Nature Biotechnology, I'm Brady Huggett, and this is Hope, Lies, and Dreams. Biogen set the price for Spinraza at $125,000 per dose in the U.S., which means that after the initial loading period, the drug would cost $375,000 annually per patient. That amount immediately set off a renewed discussion on the cost of innovation in the drug development world and just what the U.S. healthcare system can bear. Meanwhile, with the pent-up demand for the drug in the SMA community, sales quickly added to Biogen's bottom line. In that tiny window, After approval and before the end of 2016, Spinraza brought Biogen $4.6 million. And in 2017, sales took off, climbing to $884 million and ramped up from there. Spinraza revenue for Biogen was $1.7 billion in 2018 and more than $2 billion in both 2019 and 2020. Ionis got a percentage of each sale. And by the end of 2020, Ionis had earned in total $1.3 billion in revenues from the collaboration around Spinraza, of which more than $930 million came from drug royalties. The drug had been approved in 50 countries, with reimbursement established for 40 of them. Spinraza became the thing that pushed Ionis over the top. In 2017, the company announced a narrowing net loss of just more than $17 million. But in 2018, it posted a net income of $273 million the first time in its 30-year history that it reported a year in the black. 
That was followed by another year of profitability in 2019. Through 2020, through all the years as Isis and then Ionis, the company had earned $5 billion in revenue. The company had brought in money one way or another, service deals, research collaborations, or drug sales, including from Spinraza. It had raised another $2 billion by selling its equities and securities. It had also borrowed long-term debt equaling $1.5 billion. But it had blown through all that by fueling its R&D machine. And at the end of 2020, it still had an accumulated net deficit of $1.2 billion. And by last year, it was again in the red. It saw increased spending in 2020 for its pipeline, which had more than 40 ongoing programs. And it occurred about $90 million in costs associated with ingesting its wholly owned subsidiary, Axia. That moved the company back to a net loss for the year. The Axia subsidiary was formed in December 2014 to develop and commercialize Ionis's drugs for metabolic diseases caused by lipid disorders. The company was based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and the idea was that Ionis would hand over drugs for Axia to take through phase three and approval, and then market them. This went along with Stan Crook's desire to keep the needs and ambitions of marketers far away from the scientific core he so cherished at Ionis. The first drug to follow this route was Waylivra. It was aimed at familial chylomicronemia syndrome, or FCS. It's a genetic disease, rare, affecting 3,000 to 5,000 people annually around the world. It can cause a buildup of fat in organs and pancreatitis, and there were no effective therapies for it. The phase three package Axia handed to the FDA included data from two trials, both of which showed more than a 70% mean reduction in triglycerides and also a reduction of pancreatitis attacks. But the drug caused reduced platelet counts in some patients. And though an FDA advisory committee voted 12 to 8 in favor of the drug, the regulator eventually declined to approve it in August 2018. Uh, and, of course, we had side effects that, you know, people were worried about. Yeah. And anything having to do with platelets causes everybody to, you know, be particularly anxious. And so... Um, they didn't approve it. Uh, it was approved in Europe. Uh, Europe. And, then, and then we, you know, almost simultaneously had this platelet issue with Tegsetti. Axia submitted Tegsetti for U.S. approval in November 2017 to treat polyneuropathy of hereditary transthyretin-mediated amyloidosis, which is caused by transthyretin protein misfolding and accumulating as amyloid in tissue. The drug is a 20-base oligonucleotide that binds to transthyretin messenger RNA in the liver. The disease is also rare, and as it progresses, it is life-threatening. The phase three program showed benefit against placebo in quality of life measurements and on neuropathy impairment. But patients in the trial also had cases of thrombocytopenia and safety signals associated with renal function. The FDA approved Tegsetti in October 2018, but it included a black box warning on the label pointing to the platelet levels and kidney function, and the drug must be prescribed through a risk evaluation and mitigation strategy program called REMS. The drug faces competition on the market from Alnylam's on Patro, which targets the same disease through an RNA interference mechanism of action rather than antisense. And that drug was approved first in August 2018. Together, these two Ionis drugs were more like Canamro, which worked in the body but was plagued by safety issues, than Spinraza which revolutionized the disease space. Waylivera and Tegsetti were further validation that antisense could be an effective disease modifier if side effects were controlled. But the drugs didn't sell, with revenues being very modest, Stan told me. 
So if Axia was an experiment, it didn't seem to be working out. In 2019, the top management positions were purged there. And then in 2020, Ionis bought the remaining shares of Axia it didn't already own and brought the unit fully in-house. The move was billed as another step forward in Ionis's evolution in a press release. But the comment was supplied by Brett Monia, not Stan Crook. In December 2018, Ionis announced that Stan would be stepping down as CEO, effective January 2020. He would remain as executive chairman of the board, but his replacement at CEO was to be Brett Monia. It was a kind of continuation that had begun at Baylor, with Harris Bush taking Stan under his wing and serving as a father figure, and then Stan doing much the same for Brett at Ionis for three decades. The impending change marked 2019 as a year of transition for Ionis, which seemed fitting as it was also the 30-year anniversary of the company's founding. On a Saturday night in September 2019, Ionis held a company-wide party at the Omni La Costa Resort in Carlsbad. Originally built in the 1960s as an equestrian ranch, the resort is an impressive, sprawling estate. The golf course there has hosted the Tournament of Champions, and for tennis, the Davis Cup has been held there too. It was a warm night, early autumn amid the soft, rolling hills of coastal California. Ever since ISIS changed its name to Ionis, the company employees have been referred to as Ions. And on this night they gathered in the Costa del Sol ballroom. Tables everywhere, good food, open bars at the peripheries of the space. Ionis was celebrating a measure of success after Spinraza in the huge Biogen deal. And also it was patting itself on the back for pushing the science of RNA for decades and for surviving as long as it had. In the ballroom, the company had erected five displays, intermittently spaced, each one with a timeline depicting an era of the company's history. Beyond the current Ions, there were also retired employees, or people who had worked at Ionis for years before leaving on good terms. The mood was festive, a constant din of warm conversation in the huge ballroom, the sound of people enjoying each other, catching up. Around 7.30 p.m., Stan took the stage, three big screens lit up behind him. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Stan Crook, the founder, CEO, and chairman of the board to the stage. That's all? enough. <laughs> well, you know, the old motto of take care of your ego and it takes care of you, it just works great. Just ask for what you want and you'll get it. Stan had been addressing the company for decades. He'd run countless webinars and investor meetings, spoken at scientific conferences all over this world. He's at ease talking in front of others. He's funny, making jokes when the opportunity arises. And that was the case on this night, too. 
He began by pointing out that pharmaceuticals have been around for some 120 years. And the core of that industry for most of that period was small molecule drug discovery. Then came monoclonal antibodies. Then, he said, came antisense, with five or six companies formed right at the beginning. One by one, they all failed or turned away. Except Ionis. With little help from academia, he said, all the significant advances in the technology came from the people in this room. You. The future, Stan said, was nothing more than an extrapolation from these prior three decades of accomplishment. I think back 30 years ago to our first strategic plan, it's just astonishing to me that what's going to come is so straightforward for us. So today, you are improving the lives of thousands of patients. Tomorrow, it's millions. It's millions of people who will live longer, live better, and they'll do it because of the people in this room. That is an accomplishment, right? Then he began a slow backward march through time. We're here to celebrate the journey, he said. We had a challenging path, and the obstacles we faced were considered by essentially everybody to be impossible. As the antisense field emptied out over the years, we persevered, he said. Then he pointed to the Dust Bowl. The farmers who did not flee the drought-stricken land in those years, these folks who stubbornly stayed in place and hoped for a better tomorrow, were sometimes called next-year people. Well, to the antisense observers, Stan said, we were next-year people for two decades. But inside the company, he said, we had our shoulders to the wheel. And all the hard work and the great scientific culture that had been instilled at Ionis and the collective drive to succeed had been a kind of crucible for employees. And when I look out and to the audience here, I see people who have grown. And that probably is the thing that makes me proudest of, of, our, of you and our journey. And it's uh, very fulfilling to me to think that many, maybe most of you, will look back on your time at Ionis and say, that was the period of my life when I grew the most, when the demands were intense and the support was there and I grew the most. So congratulations on our journey. It's been a wonderful trip. And the reason the company persevered, the reason so many sacrifices had been made by the people in that room, was the belief in the power of medicine, Stan said. As I look around, I see lots of heroes. People who committed, made sacrifices, stayed the course for the right reason, in the right way, and did the right things. And the reason, sick people depend on us. Sick people depend on us. What more do you need? That's what we get to do for a living. The leverage of one good drug is so incredible that uh, it's just hard to get a sense of the value that we have created and the value you will create as you go forward. After his speech, the Knights program moved to individual recognition. Ionis handed out Lifetime Achievement Awards to Frank Bennett, Brett Monia, and Lynn Parshall. Also to Dave Ecker, who had returned from Abbott and now was safely back in the fold at Ionis. The company would hand out more awards in 2020, 
to Joseph Wender, Richard Geary, Scott Henry, and Roseanne, for whom they would also name a new conference center. But on this night, in his talk, full Stan was on display. He was self-deprecating, yet aggrandizing, all at once. He was businesslike at times, and was, as he always wants to be, firmly in control of the proceedings. Yet he also peppered his comments with moments of heartfelt sentimentality, as well as honesty, telling the crowd that he knew he wasn't always the easiest guy to live with. When he made jokes, the crowd was right there with him. But when he spoke of the challenges the company had faced and the great needs of patience, the entire ballroom fell into rapt silence, radiating toward the stage a kind of adoration for a retiring patriarch. Stan Crook is a man of deep emotions and contradictions. He has bursts of anger, followed by sincere contrition. He likes to laugh hard and blow off steam, yet he is a tireless worker. He is a devoted father. He is fiercely loyal to close friends, yet he can hold a grudge until the end of time. And for all the support he knows employees need, he is not particularly touchy-feely. Perhaps this is no surprise, considering that he can't recall anyone giving him a hug as a child. So in the later years, at Isis and then Ionis, Stan had an unofficial policy of allowing hugs only to people who had been with the company for 20 years or more. That kept the group small. Then, as the company grew and aged, he moved the number to 25 years. At the anniversary party, he acknowledged that his hugs had historically been focused on the top line. But on this celebratory night, at the end of the presentations, he threw the door wide open. And now um, I'm open for hugs. Uh, and thank you so much for being here. In December of 2020, Ionis announced the final step in the transition of power. Stan Crook would fully retire from Ionis and step away from the board in June 2021. On June 1st of this year, Stan sent a company-wide email with the subject line, Farewell. He noted that it seemed, like yesterday, that I closed on our initial financing of $5.2 million, started Ionis in a garage, and had our first board meeting in a cramped, hot corner of our offices. Yet, he wrote, in truth, it had been a long journey into the unknown, and along the way, the company blazed a path that many companies are now following. He drew the email to a close by saying, the Ionis we created together, and all of you, are in my heart. And he signed it, fondly, Stan. I'd asked him, way back in 2015, if Ionis, a company indelibly linked to his name, could survive without him at the helm. He answered almost instantly, yes, he said, and if not, then I haven't succeeded as a leader. Time will tell. But Brett Monia, the current CEO, has been associated with the company since its inception, and he helped instill the science-first culture that got Ionis to where it is. He is not an unknown entity, and overall, the core of Ionis remains. Few industry observers seem worried that Ionis will weaken under a new chief executive. Retirement Stan looks a lot like the old Stan. He and Roseanne officially founded in January 2020 a nonprofit organization called N. Lorem which hopes to provide RNA-targeted therapeutics for free, for life, to patients with ultra-rare genetic diseases. It is focused on antisense technology, which is hardly a surprise, and it aims to provide therapies to patient populations as small as one. 
The company was financially started by Stan and Roseanne, who have put in $3.2 million of their own money, and now has sponsorships from Ionis and Biogen. It also accepts donations. In its first year, Enlorem received 50 applications from patients, and it is moving forward on 20 of those applications. That includes one for a boy named Connor, who has a rare mutation in the SCN2A gene. This causes him severe seizures, development delays, and problems with movement. There are no effective treatments available, and Enlorem hopes to fashion an antisense therapeutic specific to this mutation and provide it, for free, to Connor and his family. In truth, though, this is not how Stan planned to spend the second half of his 70s. Certainly he wanted to give up the things at Ionis that bored me, he said, aspects mostly related to business, but he still wanted to do the science that intrigued him. What he'd envisioned was a long glide path that included some work, but more time to write, or frankly, just relax. Instead, he got Ann Lorem. But in the end, it, it, it's a moral question. <laughs> if I could do this, how could I not? I, I mean, how could I leave these patients, um, you know, suffering and dying if I had a chance to help them? The concept of Enlorem marks the return of Stan Crook, the doctor, seeing patients and working to solve an illness one-on-one. A metaphorical throwback to the days when he still saw patients, reading their charts and interacting face-to-face. At Enlorem, there are no sales goals, no annual reports to deliver to the public markets. That's a relief. But somehow the intimate pressure of dealing with a single patient whose name and face you know is worse, Stan told me. Stan is 76 years old now, and as far as he is concerned, this is how he'll spend the rest of his professional life. He'll run and lorem until he can step away and turn it over to someone else. When one looks at the long, tangled history of antisense, at the billions of dollars needed and spent by Ionis in order to get a single breakthrough drug like Spinraza, the path can seem incredible. And it is. But also, this is simply what it takes to bring a new drug modality to patients. Antibodies arrived on a similar path. The first antibody drug, Muromonab CD3, was approved by the FDA in 1986 after a decade of work. The FDA would not approve another for eight years, and the field grew slowly from there. Now antibodies are an established, valuable component in fighting a wide range of diseases. And in April this year, the FDA approved its 100th antibody therapeutic. GlaxoSmithKline's Gemperly, aimed at PD-1 and cleared for endometrial cancer. A crucial difference is that for decades there were many biotechs focused on antibodies as the field matured, whereas with Antisense, the field dwindled until there was just one company to carry the torch through the dark years, and only one CEO. That is a heavy burden. In retrospect, Stan Crook was the perfect person to carry that load. He has an exhaustive work ethic, and his pugnacious side means he refuses to quit. He brings an unwavering focus to the task at hand. His circuitous background has benefited him, medical school and academic research in pharmacology, but also pharmacy school and all the years and experience inside Big Pharma. And while he has not practiced medicine in decades, he never forgot what it felt like to be a physician, to have a patient's life in his hands, the great responsibility of that. It is possible that only this sort of person could have gotten antisense to where it is today. That needs to be considered, and many have. Here's Stelios, who has known Stan from the very first days of ISIS. How did Ionis manage to persevere? You know, one of the 
unspoken things. I don't think you and I have talked about this. Is you need capital to persevere. How do you convince investors to put up money while you're still undergoing serial failures or disappointments? And that's a very subtle thing to think about. And I think it was it was the strength of character of Stan that could convince every so often people that there was value there. And he was right, and they were right, except that every now and then, what looks like value doesn't translate in a commercial value. Yeah. And, and it finally happened with Spinraza, so now it doesn't have to prove anything to anybody. Aces work, bingo, that's Spinraza. They worked before, now they work in a commercially meaningful application. End of discussion. Here is Cleanthus Xanthopoulos, who ran the RNA therapeutics company Regulus for eight years after Ionis and Alnylam put it together with their combined intellectual property and funding. He has spent years knee-deep in the RNA field, and he knows Stan well. Stan has some very firm opinions, um, uh, very, very uh, focused on, on advancing science at the fundamental level. He has this perseverance that uh, is unique um, attribute to all inter- successful entrepreneurs and scientists. He has that um, demand of, of immense loyalty mm-hmm. um, and falling in line with his vision. He is not a consensus seeker, neither would he debate forever and, and solicit multiple ideas. But it is precisely this, those attributes that, that have been ultimately uh, so critical to advancing the, the overall field. Frankly, if it wasn't for Ionis, I believe it wouldn't have been an RNA therapeutics field because there's so many things that um, um, Ionis has been able to understand about the pharmacology, the um, ADMI properties, the toxicology, the manufacturing of, of RNA therapeutics. Stan is, as I said, I give him the tremendous amount of credit because no RNA therapeutic would have been possible today, no RNA therapeutic company, whether it's um, siRNA, anti-sense, aptam, or uh, messenger RNA, I, I would um, I would say uh, even uh, if it wasn't for all the understandings of, of um, the things that ISIS, Ionis yeah. has um, done over the last 35 years or so. And all that work of holding Ionis together and pushing the chemical modifications of anti-sense are bearing fruit today with a giant blossoming of the RNA therapy field. Luke Evnen is a partner at MPM Capital. He earned a PhD in biochemistry from the University of California at San Francisco. And afterward, he joined Excel Partners as an associate. Excel was an early investor in a tiny anti-sense startup called Isis Pharmaceuticals. Evnen stayed with Excel until the middle of 1997 and had a view from the second row bleachers, he said, as Isis was being built. Even now, he thinks, Ionis does not get enough recognition. You know, I, I just think, because I don't think ISIS and Stan get the credit for being the pioneers of the field that they kind of deserve. That is sort of my general point. And I still feel that way. I mean, it's not self-serving in, in, in the least. It was certainly not my deal. I was at Axel Partners at the time, but I had nothing. I didn't make the decision, and I was just an observer. So, um, but I, I, I think, you know, the investors who stepped up and backed him and, and Stan himself deserved a ton of credit. I mean, I think it was... And the fact, the fact that he kept it going and through all these, I mean, I think if ISIS had gone away, I'm not sure where the field would be today because there would have yeah. been no one else working on it, to be honest. I mean, who else is going to do all that sort of 
incredibly hard work and all you have to you probably had to fail on all those things in order to get to where we are today but like who is going to do it <laughs> i don't i'm not i mean maybe i mean i'm sure money got wasted but you probably did have to run these experiments at least once fail realize oh shit that's not going to work i got to go do something else in order to get to that in order to realize what you needed to do <laughs> So when when you talk about the credit, it's number one that, you know, Stan was, he was in love with RNA, right? That's part of it. But the second is, is just the tenacity of the company to not stop. Yeah. I mean, come on. That's a long, that's a long desert to cross. Stan did not build Ionis alone, of course, did not singly make all the chemical modifications that brought Antisense to bear. He had a gifted, loyal core that bought into the concept of Antisense maybe as much as he did. He was surrounded by a great team. Dan Kistner, who was chief operating officer in the 90s, told me that Lynn Parshall is one of the smartest people I ever met. Frank Bennett, he said, is made of gold. And then there's Brett Monia, who met Stan back at UPenn and followed him west and never left his side. Roseanne, who learned from Stan in the lab, fell in love with him and who helped build both the science and the culture at the company. There's Dave Ecker, who left and returned. Either because of Stan's example of loyalty or the communal love of science or the lure of the challenge or maybe even something else, most of that core is still there. Here's Dave. I'm thinking about almost everybody was a first generation in college. I'm pretty sure Brett was, uh, Frank was, I was, certainly Stan was. Uh, you know, it, it, it may be, it's not like we knew one another's backgrounds and bonded because, you know, we, we all came from very little. It may be that coming from very little makes you a certain kind of person that that defines one another. I, I don't know. I never really thought about it. Yeah. I mean, if you look around, um, uh, uh, so many of the original, um, the, the people who uh, joined within the first six months or a year are still around. You know, I mean, it, it's in, in, in leadership positions in the company. So there, there's a cultural bond, you know, never give up. Uh, um, you know, as, as long as there's a scientific foundation for proceeding, culturally, I don't think any one of us would have ever thought, this is too hard, I'm going to go do something easier. It just wasn't in the playbook. Children of addicts, or who grew up in unstable homes, sometimes become addicts themselves, a product of their genetics and environment. That is not the case with Stan Crook. He never got much of a taste for alcohol and doesn't even drink coffee. His lone vice has always seemed to be the soda tab, which he drinks even to this day, thanks to a personal stockpile. Other times, these children grow up and seek order in their lives. And this is the path that is more ascribable to Stan. And he knows it. And I've never wanted to lose touch with reality ever. My whole life is about control, (laughs) gaining control, being in control. People don't get to do to me. I get to make my own way. But I am proud that I have lived up to what I said I'd do, that if I had control, I would do everything I knew how to do to be fair, that I would not take advantage of people. And, you know, fairness is in the eye of the beholder, but I know I've tried. And, you know, the difference is 
I have control of my life and, and I, and I don't have to worry about, you know, do I have money to pay for food or all the care that Evan and Nancy need? So all that went away, not because I fixed myself, but I fixed the environment. I gained control and I'm no good unless I have control. Stan had ambition and aspirations, and he knew he wanted to do the things that smart people do, earn a law degree, build a rocket. But it wasn't until he met true scientific rigor that he found his purpose and it all came together. At Baylor, in Harris Bush's lab, watching the postdocs from all over the world live and breathe their research, a fire was lit in Stan Crook that has never gone out. And I told you over and over again that it was all luck. Yeah. That I did everything I could do to destroy my life as a young person. And it was because I was angry. And, and it's taken me a lifetime to gain the control I have now, which is not good enough. And it was the discovery of demands, the discovery of science, and, and the discovery of medicine. And... You know that was what I was born to do, and the uh, and and the notion that the best way to leverage your knowledge was to make a drug, and I knew how I don't know from birth how to make a drug. I think, and so that fluke of picking Baylor. I mean, hardly I picked them. I mean, they gave Harris yeah. gave me a chance that I didn't deserve, and I fell in love with the notion that I could help patients. I loved taking care of patients. It's it's what I do. I take care of people. That's what I've always done. Among Stan's many achievements as a teacher, a researcher, CEO, and drug developer is the Mastery Prize. He won that in 2019, and it puts him in good company. A third of Mastery recipients have also won the Nobel Prize. He was named in 2019 on Forbes' list of most innovative leaders. In 2017, he was inducted into the Medicinal Chemistry Hall of Fame. And that same year, he received the E.B. Hirschberg Award from the American Chemical Society. He was also given the Lifetime Achievement Award by the Oligonucleotide Therapeutic Society and the Script Lifetime Achievement Award. He has published more than 550 academic papers and edited more than 20 books on oligonucleotides or drug development. That is a long way from a tar paper shack on the grounds of the Republic Creosoting Factory in Indianapolis. It is a long way from that shotgun house at 363 Terrace Avenue. It is a long way from Arsenal Technical High School. When Stan looks back on his life, it is with a sense of bafflement. And I told you from the first, the first time I saw you that my life astonishes me every day. And I... And... Uh, of course, I can take a little bit of credit for working and, you know, taking advantage of the opportunities I was given that I didn't deserve. But it's not false modesty. I don't deserve much credit for what's happened to me. Yeah, yeah, so looking back at your life, are you still angry, Stan? Less, far less. I, I just, my, uh, you know, my temper, my, my um, quickness, my in a unwillingness to be patient when people dither on is still my worst character. 
And it's why I make some people really not like me. And I've tried and I regret it, but I keep doing it. That's, you know, I'm not going to fix myself much more. Stan's favorite author, if forced to pick, would be William Faulkner. And if forced to pick a favorite work of Faulkner's, it would be the novella-length story, The Bear. The story is experimental in both structure and language, and Stan does like it for that reason. It explores humankind's position in the natural world and how foolish we are to think we can own the land. Stan finds that interesting, too. But most importantly, Faulkner shines a light on America's painful racial past and the injustices of slavery. The Bear is about a man wrestling with fairness and unfairness, Stan told me. All great American literature, he said, in one way or another, is about patterns of unfairness and individuals standing up and saying, it's wrong. And that really means a lot to me. Yet The Bear is also a story of a young man coming of age and turning his back on an ugly family history. And that thread also resonates with Stan Crook's life. He does not refute how his early years shaped him, nor does he necessarily express regret for them. But it is a life he has willfully ignored since 1976. And as I say, I haven't talked to my brother in 50 years. And as I told you, my sister called once, but um, but I, I I didn't accede to her efforts to get us back together. And I heard from some of the grandchildren. But again, I refuse to uh, uh, participate. Why? We don't have anything in common. And I don't, I do not want to revisit any of that past. There's only one, I, I never had anything in common with my family anyway, really. And I certainly don't have anything in common with my sister or brother, really. I took care of them for a while and I loved them. But that was, you know, truly a lifetime ago. And and the idea of reconnecting, the only reason for me to reconnect is to brag, you know, show off. That's why I stayed in touch for, you know, when I was in pharmacy school, I was showing off. Um, but I don't need that. And any other going back, all it does is just bring back memories that I don't want to remember. You know, I tell funny stories, but that's not, that that wasn't my life. Yeah. But I just want to ask one thing and then I'll stop. It's like, you just said you loved them. So you don't have any, you don't have any desire to, I don't know. No. It's one of my worst characteristics. When I get to a, a place, I sever and and never reconnect and never go back and have no feelings. And there are, that's happened a few times. Um, so no, um, but I did love them. And, uh, you know, I did babysit them a, a lot. And, 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 um, and yet I refuse to even consider a reproachment. I I grew up really with my two cousins, Richard and Shirley. And you're not in touch with them. No. Uh Um, It's just, that's who I am. I, I, uh, uh, you know, it's not 
anything I'm a characteristic I'm proud of. But if I'm telling the truth, that's the truth. And uh, it doesn't feel good to tell you. Everyone views their life through a lens of self-justification. Stan told me that. So maybe the only way to get to the core essence of who a person is is by speaking with those who know that person best. Here's Dave Ecker, who has known Stan for more than three decades. Uh, there's a bunch of things about Stan that are the same as when I first met him in the, in the mid-'80s. But, uh, you know, he's gotten wiser. He's gotten uh, more patient. He's gotten um, less abrupt. Uh, I mean, he, he's he's extraordinarily smart and, you know, obviously, and tolerating the time it takes for other people to catch up to him is something he didn't do well in the beginning and he does a lot better now. So I, I think he's, um, and he's recognized certain things that matter, um, maybe more. You know, for, for is, as impatient as he can be, he's also quite funny at times and empathetic. He's got a lot of compassion. Yeah, well, so, you know, I got to admit that um, when I first met him, I didn't like him. He, and, and I don't know whether he liked me or not, but uh, uh, we, we clashed in the beginning. And um, there came a point when I realized that um, where his heart is, you know, his, his heart's kind of always kind of been in what I call the right place. Once you learn where his heart is, it's easy to overlook rough edges. Lynn Parshall, by handling the financial side of Ionis, rose up in the company until she was viewed as a kind of second pillar next to Stan. And it earned her a lot of attention in the broader biotech industry. The sector was in full growth mode in the 90s and early 2000s. Talent was short, and Lynn could have helped a lot of companies. She never left. Partially that's because she fell in love with Anisense, too, like the rest of the believers. But also it's because of her relationship with Stan. I, I love the company. I felt committed to its future. Um, Stan was an amazing boss, mentor, partner. Um, I, I believe that we sort of embarked on this mission of creating, you know, the third rung of the pharmaceutical industry, which I'm sure he's you know, used that with you. Um, but it was a passion. And I, I got lots of phone calls all the time for other jobs and, you know, including CEO jobs, which might've been interesting, but none of them for a company that I could feel as excited about working for as working for Ionis. And, you know, as the company continued to mature, it just got more and more and more exciting. And um, so I, you know, made it pretty clear to people, the, you know, headhunters I knew who would call me all the time, just don't bother, you know, unless you find something that is so amazing, but it's unlikely that it's going to be. So I was just very committed. You know, just having talked to Stan about his background, he's really loyal. And I think um, once you're in that circle, he's loyal to you, and then you end up feeling loyal to him back. Absolutely. Um, you know, Stan and I were a partnership, and I, I, you know, it was very difficult for me to retire before he did because, you know, it was kind of breaking up the partnership. Well, you're still obviously yeah. in I touch, right? I mean, I, I didn't break it up very successfully. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Um, so you like Stan. 
Yes. And Stan is one of my best friends and, and mentors. And yes, I, yes. Yet the person who knows Stan best is Evan Crook. Stan cared for Evan when he was young, when his son was still struggling with his learning disability. They supported each other during and after Nancy's long illness and her passing. Stan was there for Evan's marriage and the birth of his child. For more than 50 years, they've been bonded by blood. So it is Evan who gets the last word. And he spent his life taking care of people, right? Starting with working at eight years old on a paper route and your money having to go to your mom and then going to falling in love with my mom, having to take care of her, her getting sick, then focus on therapeutics and drugs and development of the most complex stuff in the world, which by the way, does what? Takes care of people who are sick, takes care of human beings, and then take care of the people who built that technology and the company. So it's really one thread that goes throughout everything. A desire to take care of other human beings. But yeah, I mean, that's urine there too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That, my, my point is that when he says the slogan, and, you know, I own us a slogan, which is sick people depend on us. Really what that is, in my opinion, it's way deeper than that. It's I, Dr. Crook, want to take care of all of you. It goes way deeper than that. And so it's not just a slogan on the wall. I know that. No one else walking through that place understands it as well as I do. I understand it. I see it. I know him very well. I know exactly where that came from. And so, yes, from a sound bite, it sounds great and it works well and it's meant. It's not, it's genuine. It's not a cliche. It's not bullshit. But the subtext of that, which is the deep stuff, is his entire life a giving person trying to take care of others. That's really what it is. Thank you, now and always, to Stan Crook. Thanks to Dave Ecker, Lynn Parshall, Cleanthus Anthopoulos, and Stelios Papadopoulos for their thoughts on Ionis and Stan Crook. Thanks to Luke Evnen for his memory of early ISIS. Thanks to Evan Crook for his time and insight. And to the many, many other people at Ionis and in this industry whom I interviewed during this project. The audio clip is from CNBC Squawk Box. Sound mix and original theme by Brian Flood. All art created by Aaron DeWalt. Hope Lies in Dreams was written and produced by me, Brady Huggett. Go to the homepage of Nature Biotechnology to find the landing page for this podcast, which includes a list of sources, historical photos, and a transcript of this and the previous nine chapters. This is the end of Hope Lies in Dreams. Thank you for listening. <laughs>